Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's webinar, Activism and How to Amplify, Amplify the Voices of Student-Athletes and Staff, part of the COSIDA Social and Racial Justice Series. Thank you to those who have submitted questions in advance, uh, and we invite those listening today to submit uh, more questions of their own. We'll do our best to address as many of those as possible uh, during the webinar and possibly uh, do something afterwards to address any of those that we don't get to. Uh, the description of today's webinar is that you know, student athletes and staff members are arriving uh, back on campus after six months of uncertainty. Uh, first, there was a pandemic that we're still uh, going through, and then there has been an awakening of racial and social injustice, all of which disproportionately affect underserved populations, including people of color. Uh, these issues have brought forth significant voices, many of whom are student athletes, uh, to the forefront, uh, demanding action and change. How will you help student athletes and, and staff on your campus find their voice to channel their emotions into activism? My name is Kyle Chilton uh, from BYU Athletic Communications, and I will be today's moderator. Our panelists are Anna Cockrell, Georgia McKee, and Julian Jones. Anna is a fifth-year senior on the USC track and field team. I was a 2020 Academic All-America Women's Team Member of the Year for track and field. She's a two-time national champion. Anna graduated in 2019 in communications and is currently working towards a graduate degree in public policy while still competing at USC. Uh, she has been involved in a variety of initiatives throughout her collegiate career, including being a founding member of the United Black Student Athlete Association in the USC Athletic Department this summer. Georgia is entering her senior year at Belmont where she plays catcher on the softball team. After learning of the murder of George, George Floyd, she was co-organizer for a pro protest in her hometown of Frisco, Texas, that saw more than 4,000 people uh, turn out in solidarity. Since the protest, Georgia has been working with city council members, her softball teammates, and Belmont's administration on how to elevate the voices of people of color during these times. Julian is the Assistant Athletic Director for Student Athlete Development and the Chief Diversity Officer for Kansas State. Uh, Jones, was heavily involved in student activism while working as a men's basketball manager uh, at Youngstown State. His involvement at Youngstown led him to serve as a postgraduate intern with the NCAA's Office of Inclusion. Uh, he then worked in student athlete development and helped create the diversity and inclusion program at Clemson, where he earned his master's in youth development leadership. He joined the Kansas State Athletic Department in 2019. Okay, we're gonna jump into the first question here. Uh, which is many student athletes are becoming more aware of the power of their voice and have a desire to make a difference in their communities. Uh, for Anna and Georgia, what advice would you give to student athletes who have those feelings? How can people in our profession, sports information directors and other athletic administrators, support student athletes who feel the desire to be more than just an athlete? And then maybe for Julian, uh, what, what advice would you uh, give to other administrators. What about advice to student athletes to best harness their voice and use it for good? Let's start with Georgia. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like every athletic department really emphasizes developing and caring about student athletes as more than athletes. I think now is the time we're seeing which athletic departments really mean that. Um, like to put aside being comfortable and sticking with just sports and to be engaged with the world and standing behind what your student athletes want to say is huge. To ask athletes what they want to say, to put together a statement as a team, then release it. Don't just like wait around and check a minimal amount of boxes to say that you did something. Like actually figure out how to make an, an impact on your campus and to listen to what the athletes say. Don't just box them in into just being athletes. 
Anna, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is that student athletes were already more than athletes. You are a person outside of athletics. There's no action that you have to take to make you more than an athlete when you already are. As far as getting involved, the first thing I would say about that is don't reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. There are a lot of existing organizations you can join, whether they're on campus, in your local community, around your school. See what organizations are already existing around you and join those. And if there aren't any, reach out to some people and figure out how you can start your own. And then even once you start your own organization, still look for community and university partners. It's much better to be a part of a coalition, to be a part of a group, a collective, than it is to stand on your own. It can be easier to be brave when you have people standing beside you. So, you know, that's what we did at USC. We, we wanted to create um, a Black Student Athletes organization. We created that, but we're not standing by ourselves. We've joined with the Black Student Assembly on campus, the Center for Black Cultural Student Affairs, and we're reaching out to nonprofits in the Los Angeles area mm -hmm. to do more work than we could do by ourselves. As far as how um, athletic administrators can assist in this process, I think the main thing is understand your athletes, understand where they're coming from, educate yourself, find out why are they so passionate if it's not already clear to you, and then connect them to resources, provide them opportunities to amplify their voice beyond the ones they have already, and um, truly see what they need to achieve their mission and their goals. I think that's great advice. I like the, what you said about reaching out to other organizations already on campus when you created your, your organization at when the US, USC Athletic Department. Most universities have clubs and organizations already existing that you can learn from and, and partner with. I think that's great advice. I'd love to hear what Julian has to say about, you know, the other side of it. You know, we talked, we've heard from two student athletes. Now an administrator, what do you say about supporting student athletes in their activism? Yes, thank you. Um, I think just to start off, you know, Georgia and Anna are on this panel, you know, as strong student athlete voices. And so the admin and coaches who are listening, make sure you're listening to some of the things Anna and Georgia have to say, because that's what really matters, you know, the student athlete voice. And so, although I'll be giving my perspective from an admin lens, I think, again, this is the perfect time to hear from the, some student athletes who are on this panel already um, of what they feel you should do as far as supporting them. And so, I think, you know, we said it already, listen. It's important to listen. Um, you know, we like to talk a lot and have ideas or thoughts we want, but do we actually listen? So making sure you're really listening. Um, lead by example, um, making sure that if you want your student athletes to amplify their voice, you're posting and using your privilege just as well on social media, you know, um, posting kind of, you know, Black Lives Matter and just other things that kind of enhance social justice initiatives, making sure that you, again, lead by example, but listen, I think is the, one of the biggest things you have to listen to your student athletes, see what they really want. Um, you know, although I sometimes believe I have really great ideas and thoughts for student athletes and what they should do. You never know when you listen and have a focus group maybe, or even a town hall with some of your student athletes, you learn what they really want. And so those are some things that you really need to make sure you do. I know for us, you know, at K-State, we had a um, town hall meeting with our AD was there and, and our student athletes were really pouring their, you know, true emotions and sharing how they really felt. And that opened a lot of people's eyes in our athletics department to see, wow, we really have been missing the mark here. And so it's important, again, to listen. So that's kind of what I have as far as the admin piece. And then when we go to student athletes, it's important to speak up. 
And I know it can be hard at times to speak up, but if you don't speak up, we really will never know kind of what it is that you need. And so um, I try to do as admin, just continue to um, amplify and help our student athletes know like your voice really does matter. And so if you don't speak up, we really can't do much. I can say what I want, but once they know a student athlete is saying this, a lot more can happen. And so making sure you speak up. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about speaking up as well, a lot of times, you know, SAC is one of those places where a lot of people, um, you know, go to or listen to. Um, but a lot of times we don't have a lot of our black student athletes or those who are sharing their opinions or have these feelings actually a part of those um, organizations. And one of the things I ask my student athletes is why, and they say, well, um, it's not people like me on there or um, it's a lame organization, you know. And so, well, if you want your voice to be heard, you have to go be the change and you have to join these, you have to join SAC to, to be that change maker. So that's what I would say for um, admin and student athletes. Maybe one thing I could add from that, you know, people in our profession and in the sports information profession, athletic communications, um, is, you know, we we often have pretty close connections with a lot of student athletes. I think we could encourage the student athletes to speak up and use their voice. Uh, we're, we're the ones setting up their interviews and encouraging them to speak. So I think that's something people in our profession should take to heart and really encourage our student athletes to share what they, you know, share what they're feeling and, and uh, to change, talk about the change they want to make. Uh, so next question is, racial and social injustice can be a very sensitive topic. How can student athletes and staff promote effective change and start conversations uh, without offending or making people so uncomfortable that they, they stop listening? Obviously, these, these things can make people uncomfortable, um, and they should, hopefully, um, in some ways. Uh, but how can we, we do that without people just shutting down? Julia, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I mean, I think you just hit the you know you just hit right there um you have to be uncomfortable so um you know you're going to be uncomfortable when certain conversations are brought up and so um it's okay that's a part of it and um, you can't give up because someone is you know feeling uncomfortable and and as a um as somebody who does feel uncomfortable you you know hopefully won't stop listening just because you feel uncomfortable because again there's a lot of times where a lot of us feel uncomfortable and we we just can't stop. And so um, continuing um, through that, I think, um, you know, one of the things as well is maybe going to the town hall meetings that happen or seeing if you can attend those town hall meetings, um, you know, whether it's via Zoom or, you know, once we can get back in person, that it's in person and understanding and listening um, and to the vulnerability that comes from our student athletes. I think when student athletes become vulnerable and share their true stories, um, and it actually impacts you and you know the person that it's impacting, it then makes you kind of open up and like, wow, okay, maybe this is kind of the start to that. And so I just think you have to be challenged and we student athletes and um, admins, like you have to keep challenging and pushing that narrative to, you know, hey, you're gonna be uncomfortable, it's a part of it. Um, and then eventually maybe you'll be comfortable, but um, you have to start from there. And uh, George, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I have something to add. Um, maybe this isn't the answer that I'm supposed to give, but it's the answer that's on my heart. I personally am not really interested in other people's discomfort right now because black people are saying stop killing us and people are adding caveats and reasons why 
they're justifying the murder of unarmed black people. So, you know, USC has done stuff like saying, hey, we're giving election day off for student athletes so they can vote and people are mad about that. If people are going to find a reason to be upset and uncomfortable with something as simple as student athletes and student athletes should be able to vote, if they're gonna justify murders of unarmed black people in the street, then for me, I'm kind of like, well, that's on you. That's on you and your discomfort. And you need to sit with why that's making you so uncomfortable to say Black Lives Matter. I'm, it's very uncomfortable. It's very unpleasant to be a Black person and have interactions with the police and wonder, am I going to die? It's very uncomfortable for the people who watch George Floyd getting murdered right in front of them. It's uncomfortable for the people, for the family members of Black people who've been murdered. So if you're uncomfortable because black people are saying, don't kill us, imagine what it's like to be black and to have members of your community die and have those murders being filmed and played constantly on the internet and on national television. So, I mean, I'm, I'm at a point personally where I'm kind of not trying to cater anymore. I'm not trying to justify my humanity or the humanity of other black people. If you don't see it, then I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't want to die. I don't want my community members to die. I don't want my people to die. And if that's something that's off-putting to you, then you have to sit with that. I'm a human. I deserve the right to live. And frankly, I'm not really interested in coddling on that. I'm not interested in tailoring my message when my message is pretty simple. I want to survive. I want to live. I want Black people to live and have more equitable outcomes. So yeah, as far as discomfort goes, like, I guess that's on you. And I'm gonna say what I have to say and do the things I think I need to do to get better outcomes for my people. Great, thank you. Uh, Georgia, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, why people have to get, we have to get over ourselves. Like, if we aren't getting uncomfortable and making bold statements, then everything that we're doing is meaningless. Like if we're just gonna post a black square on social media or just like release like some haphazard statement, like that's not getting to the heart of the issue. Like if we aren't looking inward, if we aren't like, willing to do deep radical change and we're just part of the problem great thank you yeah there's there's a lot of i think especially for you know white people we need to look inside ourselves and, and really explore why we're uncomfortable and and keep going with that keep exploring that and keep learning and keep keep trying to do more uh thank you for for those great responses um our next topic that we're going to discuss uh is emotional labor which can come in a variety of forms but Sometimes it's the unpaid labor that, that people take on at work. A lot of, often, a lot of research shows that's done by women doing things that they're just kind of thrown on them because of their gender. Um, sometimes it's people code switching or having switching their behavior to fit in, whether it's people of color, black people, LGBTQ people often have to do those kinds of things to, to feel like they're not gonna get in trouble for being who they are. Um, but a lot, a lot of people are asking what they can do to help educate themselves. And a lot of times we, we look to, you know, especially in, in this, this time and this topic, we might look to our black friends and colleagues and say, hey, educate me, teach me, tell me what I need to do. And, and while there's a, maybe a place for those conversations, um, what, what is the responsibility of people that are trying to learn? And how can we not overburden our black friends and colleagues? And what can athletic departments do to help alleviate that pressure uh, from the black student athletes and, and staff members who might feel like it's all on them to, to educate. Um, Anna, do you wanna start with that one? Sure. 
So the first thing I would say is there's a wealth of literature, of film, of music, of movies, of TV shows that explain the Black experience. If you want to get super academic, you can find academic journals on institutionalized racism. If you want it in documentary form, you can go to Netflix. They have a whole bunch of Netflix documentaries. So the information is out there and honestly on you to seek it out. And it's, it's kind of unfair in a way, and it, it puts a weight on Black people when you're asking them to explain things to you that you could seek out for yourself. And obviously, when Black people are speaking on their experiences, you should listen. When anyone who has a different experience than you is speaking, you should listen. But don't go in with the expectation that they owe you information, they owe you resources, they owe you their time. That, that's the challenge, and that's the fine line I think people have to walk. And even I walk this line, like if I'm asking anybody for anything right now, before I ask them for something, I say, hey, do you have the time, energy, and emotional space to take this on? If not, don't worry about it. If you do, and you want to do it, and you want to help me out with this, then please, like, offer your insight and your resources. I think we all have to be conscious of the fact that it's not just, you know, an academic mental exercise to be dealing with these topics. For many of us, it takes an emotional toll on us. It, it makes me emotional when I think about the Black people who died, not just this year, but in years past, going from Trayvon Martin until now. It, it puts a strain on me. It hurts me. Um, and I think it hurts a lot of Black people. So it's difficult when you're also being asked to explain, well, why does this hurt you? Can you tell me more? Like, I don't always want to do that. I don't always want to have to give you my entire life story and put my pain on display for you to understand when there's already a wealth of resources that you can use to understand. I would also just say one thing that's been interesting is like some of my white friends and my non-black friends have come to me and they're like, oh my God, like I benefit from white privilege. I'm having all these realizations. And that's awesome. I'm glad you're having those realizations, but it's kind of like, what am I supposed to do with that information? I can't absolve you of these feelings you're having. I can't wave a magic wand and make the world equitable and make racism disappear. So if you're having these realizations about white privilege and your role in society and, and what racism looks like, amazing, wonderful, but take those realizations and, and put them into action. Don't go to a black person and ask them to absolve you of like these conflicting feelings and these difficult emotions you're having. Take those emotions and turn them into, are you protesting? Are you volunteering? Are you donating? Are you voting? Are you educating family members? Are you reaching out to your network and the people who will listen to you, but they might not listen to a black person? Um, just be very mindful of what you're unloading and what you're expecting of black people in this time. And honestly, like all the time. That was great, thank you. Uh, one one thing before we, we give Julian and Georgia a chance to, to respond there, COSIDA has put together as part of the social and racial justice series, there's a page on the website with a variety of resources, like Anna mentioned, documentaries, articles, podcasts that you can consume to help educate yourself. So I encourage everyone, you know, all of the people on this uh, webinar today and to, to go to that page, share it with your colleagues. There's a lot of great stuff there. Uh, Julian and Georgia, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, People of color have been begging white people to occupy space in this conversation for a long time. Um, I think what we're seeing is a lot of white people are really scared to engage in these types of conversations and they're letting fear be the main factor and the main reason why justice isn't brought to the communities they're engaging with. Um, we can't let fear be that main factor. Like 
like Anna said, like there are so many places you can educate yourself. I cannot tell you how many documentaries and books. Like I was became a part of a book club and it was just a bunch of people struggling. And like the thing is, like I've failed a million times. I'm gonna to continue to fail. I've probably already failed in this panel, despite the things I've said. Like you can't be afraid to fail. Just like in sports. I mean, if we're gonna make like a sports analogy and be cheesy, like you can't be afraid to take risk and to learn and to unlearn. I think unlearning is a big thing that um, non-Black people really struggle with is having to look at what we've been taught our entire lives since the day we were born and having to completely break that down and deconstruct that and to look at the world how it really is. But it's so important. Sports analogies are more than welcome here, uh, yeah. of course. Julian, any, anything to add? Yes, I think, um, I mean, they both hit it, you know, they both did good on that answer, but I think, you know, obviously education is, is great and key, um, but then a lot of times um, admin, um, they will ask, you know, how can I help or how can I um, take action, right? Well, it's, well, actually doing the action. So you ask about it, but then you don't really even do it. And so, um, you know, you send panels, maybe, you know, send them something like this, a webinar like this to say, hey, um, participate but then they don't participate or you keep, you know, you share information, but they're not showing up. And so that's what you can do. You know, that's what you can do um, as far as the action step goes. Um, I see a lot of times people, you know, share these great ideas or, or ideas they think might be great. Like, hey, what about this idea? Maybe you should do that. Well, why don't you try to plan? You know, why don't you do that idea that you're sharing instead of putting it on um, the black staff members or student athletes to put it on? But how about you? Um, be okay to, to fail. What if, we might say, no, that's not really a good idea, but at least you ask. At least you're asking, hey, I have this idea. How about we try to implement this? That's something that you could do instead of, again, oh, I have this idea. Maybe you should do this. Well, I'm tired. I'm tired. So I don't. I don't have time to do it. How about you do it? How about you execute it? I think that's something that um, that's really kind of huge as far as can give us some time, I guess, as far as they can help and take over. Um, I think, again, Anna and Georgia talked about it. I mean, education is, is key, but, you know, don't ask to be involved, but don't be involved. We're doing a book club for um, our K-State staff members, um, which is athletic staff, um, and reading the book, How to Be um, Anti-Racism. Um, and so, how, like, sign up for that, right? Like, sign up for it. Why didn't you sign up for the uh, book club? You know, you're asking for all these things, but not let you know, hey, here it is. We're going to provide the book for you as an athletic department, but you don't sign up. So I think um, action. That's great. Thank you. I think, yeah, it's a great challenge maybe to put to everyone just to show up, to, to do things, to participate and help shoulder the load because we can't, like you said, we can't put it all on our our black co-workers and student athletes uh, it's just not fair and it because it's something it's a problem that we all need to work to solve uh thank you okay what is the best way to move forward if student athletes and staff are met with disdain for their social justice efforts uh georgia you want to start with that one yeah sure um i immediately think about my protests whenever um, people in my hometown found out that I was the organizer of this protest, um, which it all happened really fast. Like I put it out on social media less than 24 hours before it happened. And so like within 24 hours, there's a lot of pushback. And I can't tell you how many Twitter DMs and Facebook messages I received of, 
a lot of hate of people saying, my daughter's volleyball practice is canceled because of this, how dare you? And I just had to take a step back and you really see people's true colors, but I got to go to sleep at night knowing I was doing the right thing, knowing I was doing everything in my power to elevate the voices of like my black brothers and sisters in Frisco. And I think that's what's most important. Like if you're not going against the grain or if you're not receiving any kind of pushback that you're not making a difference, you're not being loud enough. That's great, thank you. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna receive some pushback, right? But that's part of, you gotta push through it. Uh, Anna, Julian, anything you wanna add to that? I would just add that the pushback is inevitable. Um, anytime I've said anything on Twitter or on Instagram, I get, like Georgia, I get a flood of DMs. I get a million people who at me talking about, oh, stick to sports, about this person was this, you're that. I think what makes it more manageable for me is that I have a really strong group of supporters and people that I can lean on, not just like my immediate family, but my family at USC, the organization at USC. So when I feel overwhelmed or afraid or stressed out, I have been able to go to these people and say, this is making me upset. This is making me feel bad. Like, I don't know, am I going too far with this action? So to have like that group of people who I can bounce ideas off of, who I can vent to, who understand what I'm going through, um, just having that community has made it a lot easier when the inevitable pushback comes, when like the personal attacks come, even though it's it feels out of nowhere and it, it always kind of stings a little bit there's always that group of people to remind me that, you know, the work we're doing is important. And if it wasn't important, there wouldn't be people trying to stop it. That's great, thank you. Any thoughts, Julian? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you gotta stay strong, right? Just have to stay strong. Remember what's your values and your purpose. You know, if that, if your values align and you're striving for your purpose and Keep going, keep speaking, keep voicing your concerns. Uh, don't give up. Um, and don't read the comments sometimes. I think that's a, and I know it's hard, it's hard to do, but um, I know, you know, you may can mute your comments, but sometimes I try, I try so hard to not, um, you know, read the comments of, you know, our student athletes post, and then I get to the comments to see like what fans are saying to them to know how I can better support them. And it's like, you know what, I need to stop reading these comments because it just makes me upset. To see how people really are, especially you know, as we talk about, you know, student athletes are they're going to watch the game, right? They're going to watch your events, your sporting events, but they just don't expect you to do anything else besides play the sport. And I just can't understand that. And uh, well, I, I can understand. I see, I know where people come from, obviously, but they're racist people most of the time. And and so, how do you just stay strong and know that your purpose is um, and your value? Um, I think. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter, I think going to kind of what George just said and the Black Lives Matter thing, we, um, I had a student athlete, you know, said, hey, I want to be in law enforcement. Um, this is a white student athlete. He wanted to be in law enforcement. Um, but he also, you know, he he thinks that the things that were going on, the, the murders were bad, um, which they were. And so he posted on his social media, Black Lives Matter. And he had a lot of connections um, to police officers who were trying to help him, you know, get into the field and they were like, well, if you're posting that, we don't want you, you know, we don't want to help you anymore because blue lives matter. And he was really conflicted and asked, you know, for advice on that. And, 
And again, I just took it back to what's your purpose and your values. You don't want to go work for some, regardless of what you want to do in life. You don't want to work for someone who doesn't have the same value um, as you do. Um, and so I think that's, you know, something that's really important. Um, also, for admin, and you know, we had, obviously, we didn't know, because a lot of times people that comment on Twitters um, and I guess whatever platform and DMs, they have the egg there. They're not really showing who they really are. Um, and so one thing we did at the athletic department was we had a Black Lives Matter panel for our donors, um, for our top donors. And we had student athletes and coaches, um, myself, um, on that panel to talk about what it means, like what Black Lives Matter means to us. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, how can you be an ally in that time? And so we gave them the chance that if you were one of those people in the comments, now you know why we're saying Black Lives Matter. This is the reason why. Um, and so that was helpful. Another thing that our athletic department took a stance on was if, if somebody did show their face in the comments and their name, and we traced them back to being a ticket holder or a student who's a ticket holder, that we were suspending your um, account so you couldn't come to the events anymore. And so, so some of the things like that is really huge. And so um, just don't give up. It's hard, you know, because a lot of times you do, sometimes you do want to give up. You're just tired. It's exhausting. But stay strong, stay positive. Remember what your values and your purpose is. So there's actually an audience question that just came in that kind of relates to this, this topic. So we're going to hit that real quick before moving on. Um, first, for Anna and Georgia, how do you go about finding allies either in the athletic department or on campus? Because Anna, you talked about your, your support system. And I think about students at, you know, even my school that's not very diverse and at other schools that maybe don't have very much diversity. How do they go about maybe finding people to support them? You know, obviously their families hopefully are supportive, but they're, at, they're away at college, so they don't have that support system right there. How do they go about finding that? And maybe any advice either of you have? So as far as finding support within the department, um, <laughs> I, if you are Black, I would say look to other Black people in the department and find out where they stand, how, how willing they are to put themselves out there. Um, a lot of the time, if you're Black, you kind of know the other Black people anyway, because <laughs> there probably aren't very many of you and you already have a relationship. So that's one thing that I did. Like my head coach is a Black woman. So we've been having conversations about, you know, being a Black woman, being Black in these spaces since I got to USC. Our, our SWA is a Black woman. So I, I kind of already had some of these relationships, but just beyond those immediate connections, like the skin folk being kin folk kind of a thing, it was like when I started speaking out, Who's reaching out to me? Who is saying, hey, I agree with you and I support you? And surprisingly to me, it was like a lot of the international girls, a lot of the international rowers were like, hey, I want to know more. What's going on? How can I be involved? So sometimes the allies will reveal themselves to you. It, you might have to look, you might have to search, and not everyone is going to be comfortable being vocal. Not everyone is going to be comfortable identifying themselves, especially given the context that you're in, the environment you're in. But when I started being more outspoken, the people who agreed started coming to me and then saying, hey, I think this person also feels this way. And so you just kind of go person to person and like slowly build the network. And it, it's been a really cool experience to see how many people at USC, at my school, are passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about. 
And then even beyond that, it was like, hey, I'm on the soccer team at SC. I know a soccer player at UCLA who feels this way. And so then that's how you start building connections beyond your immediate campus into other schools in the area, into other schools in the conference. So now there's like a group of women that I know from Stanford, from Oregon, from Washington State, all from the Pac-12 who are kind of going through similar things, doing, building similar organizations that they didn't exist already. So it, it went from, you know, my friends and family to all these different people from, you know, across up and down the West Coast who are all passionate about the same things. So you have to look at eventually the eyes. Great, thank you. Uh, George, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't need to find allies when necessarily need representation, because um, I find that easily. My institution is a primarily white institution. Um, so for me, I'm paying a lot of attention to who in my administration is speaking out, what teams, what head coaches, what assistant coaches, what other student athletes, so that we can build this coalition of allies, so that we can form this safe space that people can actually feel comfortable coming to Belmont and so that they feel like their voices are heard. And so, I don't know, it's been interesting to see how much primarily white institutions are willing and able to not just make statements, but to make actual change. And so I'm right now what I'm seeing, I'm finding a bunch of um, white student athletes that are passionate and that um, are engaging with the world in similar ways that I am. And that's important to have and to find within an athletic department instead of me feeling like I'm the only one and fighting by myself. That's great, thank you. Uh, Julian, kind of the same question, but maybe if you could also address how can staff members and administrators and coaches make it known that they're allies? Because I think sometimes there are people in the department that, in departments that, you know, are very supportive and want to be allies, but sometimes maybe struggle to, to know how to reach out and let people know, especially if they're student athletes that maybe they don't know very well, you know, but they want to let them know, say, hey, I'm here, I support you. Um, yeah, any thoughts you have on that? I mean, I think it's really just reaching out. Like you just have to, you know, just do it. Be authentic, be yourself. And if you really truly feel that you wanted to reach out to somebody, you might as well just do it. Um, you know, and um, that's how they know. Again, I think during this time, a lot of the student athletes who I talk to were like, yeah, this person said this, or, or yeah, they made a statement, or they post on their social media, but they didn't even reach out to me. So how do I really believe them in that sense? Um, and so, yeah, you post it on social media and you have people, um, you know, for everyone to see, but have you addressed it, you know, within your team? Have you addressed it with the people that you know? Um, and so I think that's the important piece. It really just comes down to, again, student athletes and the people, most people in general, but student athletes specifically, they can read somebody. They know when you're being fake and they know when you're authentic. And so if you're authentic and you really care and want to reach out genuinely, then do it. And the student athletes will know. Um, but if you're just doing it because you just, um, just Feel like you need to and have to do it without even really wanting to do it they're going to know that too and so i think really is just being there showing up you know again we talked about it just showing up to things and and knowing in order for them to to realize 
be the voice, lead by example, you know, post on social media, but also, you know, talk with them, but post on social media and show like, okay, they do care. Um, you know, one of the things I think is really easy and specifically for maybe even the SIDs, you know, because you have the social media handles, but I'm logged into our student athlete development account on Twitter. Um, and I go and look at the Twitter feed because our student athletes follow it and we follow our student athletes to see who commented or what are they going through? You know, people are, oh, I'm tired of this, you know, retweeting a video, you know, retweeting something. Oh, I'm so tired of this. When is it going to stop? Okay, let me text them and be like, you know, hey, you know, I've seen this or hey, I just want to check in on you. Um, and not saying that I have to look at that to see, to check in with people because I, I typically just check in with people um, anyway, but sometimes I may see that somebody's really going through something more uh, when I look on social media. So I want to make sure I'm reaching out to them. And so I think that's a, another easy way to do it. You know how if you're looking at social media and you see student athletes um, and they look and they seem as if they're going through something and you really genuinely care, you should reach out. But if you don't, and you just want to do it just because and then don't waste the time because they're going to know that it's not authentic. So. Great, that's great advice. Thank you. Um, okay, let's move on to our next next topic, um, which is representation. Representation matters, right? Um, it gives us confidence. You know, when we see people like us doing things, it gives us confidence that we can be that or be anything that uh, that we want to be, uh, and it helps us find people who might be safe mentors. Um, and though a large percentage of student athletes are black or people of color in our athletic departments, the coaches, administrators, um, and staff members are vast. Uh, the vast majority of institutions don't match that demographic. Um, why is representation important? Um, what can be done in college athletics to diversify these positions, whether it's coaches, SIDs, sports psychologists, marketers, et cetera? Um, Anna, you want to start with that? Sure. Um, so as far as like what athletic departments can do to address representation, maybe this is me just thinking simply, but like hire black people, hire people of color, hire LGBTQ plus people, make your athletic department diverse. Like as a student athlete, I don't have hiring power. I, I don't make those decisions. So if you wanna see a more athletic department, then like pressure your athletic department, pressure the people who have those hiring powers to make those decisions. I think one thing that white people can do, non-black people can do is use their privilege to advocate for black people and other people of color. So if you are a white person, you're looking around your athletics department and everybody else is white, when a position opens up, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, let's consider somebody who's diverse. Let's make sure we're making an environment where we're hiring black people. And also this is a safe and healthy working environment for black people and other people of color. Um, as far as why representation is important, um, I mean, you can hit it on a number of levels. So like on a medical level, there are all these studies coming out about how when um, black people, black newborns are treated by black doctors, they're more likely to survive. When black women are going into the hospital and getting birth, they have the highest maternal morality rate. How non-black doctors tend to under, under diagnose, tend to undervalue the pain black people are in. So from just a medical standpoint, if you have a whole bunch of black student athletes and we know implicit bias is real, we know people have biases even though they don't want to, and you have, you have black people going to medical professionals, trainers, doctors, chiropractors, knowing these things exist, we might be missing injuries. We might be missing and undervaluing the pain of black student athletes. 
if we know that mental illness and, and mental health challenges present differently in black people, but we're not being conscious of that and we don't have any black mental health professionals, we're missing the fact that black student athletes are having mental challenges. So just from a strictly health standpoint, it's dangerous to not have anybody black in these positions. But from a, a standpoint of like student athletes being able to see people who look like them, that's powerful. It's, it's hard to imagine yourself being an administrator, being a head coach, being a sports psychologist or an athletic trainer if there's nobody who looks like you doing that job. It, I mean, like to make a sports analogy, when Gabby Douglas became the first black woman to win all around at the Olympics, that was big. It, it had never been done before. That sent a message to a whole bunch of young black girls. Well, shoot, I can be a gold medal winning gymnast. I can do that. So to have someone in those positions, it's, it creates mentoring. It, it opens up the doors. It shatters glass ceilings. And it, it makes it aspirational. And it makes it attainable for black student athletes to see someone in those positions of power as a head coach, not just, you know, an assistant, not just uh, a grad student, um, grad volunteer. It, it's important that black people are represented at all levels. And then from a department standpoint, if you've got black people in the room, it helps mitigate decisions that look bad. And it, if, if you've got somebody black, it helps kind of eliminate some of that tone deafness, like that Pepsi commercial that came out with Kylie Jenner handing the guy the, the cop of Pepsi and like, oh, police brutality assault. If more black people had been in the room with more power, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have happened. And someone would have said, hey, this is a bad look. So to have black people with seats at the table with voices that are actually authentic and listened to can help protect the universities and the athletic departments from making decisions, whether it's marketing decisions, hiring decisions, media stuff. It can protect the athletic department from making mistakes. So I think it's important on a variety of levels for the health of student athletes and for the department and the universities themselves. It's unbelievably important to have athletic departments with representation. Yeah, thanks. There's actually a lot of research out there kind of going along with what you said about the medical side, just that organizations are more successful. They're more creative. They're just better overall when they're more diverse and they're more inclusive. So I think that's that's a great selling point. Um, Julian and, and Georgia, anything to add to that? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, so it could be so simple, right? I mean, just do the right thing and, and get a diverse department, but um, but you got to be intentional too. You know, you have to be intentional about it. So you can speak and say you want to do it, um, but you got to be intentional on in doing it. Specifically, um, you know, for instance, like a Manhattan, Kansas, right? Like to get somebody um, black or into Manhattan, Kansas, you have to be intentional about it you have to um you know recruit you have to support them show that you're going to support them explain how you're going to support them um but you know also what's the growth level look like you know or what uh, making sure that you're doing the exact same things and we have the same opportunities that our um, non-black um admins have or coaches have so i mean i think you have to really be intentional go outside of your box right if you have a administration or a staff that's all white, more than likely the people you're going to keep hiring, depending on who's in your circle, if that's all you hang out with is um, you're going to keep hiring non-black people. And so you have to take this, be, make change. You have to be about change and change is hard for a lot of people, um, and which is unfortunate, but you have to do that in order to, to get people in and you have to be intentional about it. Um, it's nothing, you know, I, most 
the time, our, you know, black people, we know we're educated. We know we belong to be in that room. And so you don't have to, you know, we're not thinking, oh, they're only hiring me because I'm black. Well, if that's the case, I'm hired and I'm good at what I do. And so if you're hiring me because I'm black, it's also because I'm educated and I'm well qualified to do this job. And probably sometimes more qualified than some of the people you decide to choose for this um, position. But, um, but you don't give the opportunity, those same opportunities. And so you have to be able to um, go outside the box and outside of your network. And again, especially in college towns too, where it's not a big city, where a lot of people probably haven't grown up in, in areas like that. Um, and so that's one of the things. I know something else I was gonna say kind of about the representation, right? It, I think Anna, you know, she said it right. You know, you don't see anybody that looks like you. It's hard. Um, you know, I, it's been amazing um, for, you know, and I'm not sure if I, you know, want to be an athletic director, but I know that I've been seeing a lot of people um, get those positions. A lot of black people get the AD role lately, you know, and which is still not a lot compared, you know, the stats wise, but I've been seeing it. And that means a lot. It's, it's empowering to see that. And so again, representation does matter. It gives you hope that, okay, we can um, get to this level. Um, I think um, I like to bring up the Santa Claus example for me, right? In black, most black homes, at least in my black home, it was a black Santa Claus. Um, but when you leave and you go to take pictures with Santa Claus or you're, or people are showing you pictures of Santa Claus, Santa Claus isn't black. And it's like, like we don't get, you know, as a kid, you're probably not really understanding why Santa Claus is black in our home, but then when you go places, we don't see a black Santa Claus. And, and a lot of people don't have to really think about that. And a lot of um, white colleagues don't have to think about that. And so I like to say that because those are the privileges you have that, that we, don't, uh, we don't have. We have to really think about, you know, how do I find a black Santa Claus for my child? If I want my child to, you know, to see a black Santa Claus, or how do you explain that, you know, when your child asks why does a Santa Claus look the way you thought he looked, then how does, you know, how does that change? And so I think it's just something to think about is that those little things we have to really go through um, in as far as representation. So the world was just, people decided to hire people um, because of for diversity, um, then we really, it'd be a lot, I guess, less of the hassle to try to find that representation because we already have it there. And it's a lot of resources out there. So it's no excuses to say why you don't hire black people. It's a lot of resources. You just have to ask the right people and be intentional about it. Um, and so that's kind of, that's what I have to say is about that part. Great, thank you. Anything to add, Georgia? No, I don't really think I have anything to add. Just as a woman, I can't imagine going through sports and not having women administrators or women coaches. Um, like I just like, for me, like I love having a woman coach over a man, over a male coach. So just like that representation for me is a, just so much. Like I just can't imagine what it would be like to be a black person and to not have anyone like you higher up. Yeah, thank, thanks for adding that. And I think it's important as we, as hopefully organizations do try to diversify their workforce, they they look at their the environment that they're bringing people into. And is it inclusive? Because if it's not, that's great that maybe you try to diversify your workforce, but if it's not an inclusive place where people will feel comfortable, they're not gonna stay. And they're gonna, they're gonna leave and probably have a, a bad taste in their mouth about your organization. So I think, 
inclusivity is so important as well. And I think you all kind of touched on that, but I just wanted to, to highlight that. Um, we're gonna move on to a few few questions that came in before the panel started that from the audience, but then we'll try to hit some of the, the live questions as well. One of those is how do you keep the conversation and momentum going from the summer as we move into the academic year and try to regain normalcy? Uh, it seems like this has happened before where maybe people get excited about something, um, but then it, it kind of goes away. I'm not, for, for white people, at least, I, I know, you know, black people and people of color deal with these things and things, these, these kinds of things are on their mind all the time. But how do we keep our departments talking about it, our student athletes talking about it? Julian, you want to hit that one first? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, you know, you have to really know that this is an ongoing thing. So it's not just a, a one-off. And so even as um, allies, you know, it's, it's not our, it's not Black people's job to keep the conversation going. Um, and so you have to make sure that you can also keep the conversation going, you know, talk about, bring up diversity and inclusion in your meetings. In your senior staff meetings, you'd be okay to talk about it. Um, at all levels of your meetings, um, you know, don't just lean it on to the, you know, the black person to bring up the diversity and inclusion um, aspect. If you have something that you can share about diversity and inclusion or that can help your department, then you bring it up and make sure that that conversation keeps going. You know, one of the things for us is we we created a diversity and inclusion action team um, on, for our staff and coaches, and we have our um, student athlete representatives as well, and we meet weekly. So. So we're not going to let the conversation die. So we're going to keep meeting, you know, weekly because it's an important conversation. So we meet about other things weekly. So we're going to meet about diversity and inclusion weekly. Um, and so that's, you know, again, something. So you make sure that it's always going and keeping it, keeping that going. So I think that would be my, you know, advice is just don't leave it um, only for the black people or even just the chief diversity officer in your department. Yes, that's our job. But if you have something you want to say, then share it. You don't have to wait and see, you know, well, let's, I'm just let him handle the diversity inclusion piece of it because that's his job. Well, no, how about you talk about it and bring it up and then we can have that discussion. And so um, it's, I'll be curious to hear, you know, how Anna and Georgia um, may want to help keep the conversation going. But I think from a staff perspective, that's a good way to make sure that we're keeping the conversation going. Thank you. Georgia, any, any thoughts there? Yeah, like you have to keep in mind, like this isn't just a PR strategy. Like this isn't something that athletic departments just need to do to be trendy or to seem applic applicable in these hard times. Like this has been going on for so long and is going to continue. And so we have to face it head on. We have to continue to have conversations. We have to look at the type of people we're recruiting and why. We have to look at our board members. Um, we have to look at, like if you're afraid to go to your board and say Black Lives Matter, then there's something you can do. And it's no, it might not be shared on Twitter. It might not be shared on social media, but like it's real work we have to do every single day. It's like going back to earlier in the call when we were talking about white people, we have to look inward and we have to unlearn, we have to relearn and we have to do that every single day. And that like, whether it's small conversations we have, whether it's, yeah, like for coaches recruiting or like while you're hiring somebody um, not just hiring them because they're black to make your team more diverse, but because of recognizing this person actually brings a lot more to the table than somebody else. This person deserves to be here. You know what I mean? Like I'm recruiting this person because they have a lot to bring because I can learn a lot from their experience 
and they can add to what we already have at the table and not to just be like, oh, look, we have another black person on board during a big Black Lives Matter movement. That's not what this is about. And we can't be about that. Thank you, Georgia. Anna. I think Georgia and Julian hit a lot of points um, perfectly. One thing I would add is that recognize that every single thing doesn't have to be as big as a, a huge protest, right? Like you can take consistent smaller actions to make change. And that's that's part of what you should do, right? So whether that action is, I have a racist friend or family member, why don't I check them? Like, why have I let them get away with saying these things for so long? I need to address that person. I need to try to impact my direct circle and make these people that touch my life and whose lives I touch, I need to try to make them better and understand that these views aren't okay. It's not okay to be racist. Everything doesn't have to be the dramatic. I'm not, obviously I'm not saying protest is bad, but when we don't get caught up on, this has to be a huge newsworthy attention getting event. Being anti-racist isn't about all the big actions. The big actions are super important, but so are the small things, the day-to-day -day things, the standing up for your black colleagues, standing up for somebody who is getting harassed. If you see something, like if you see microaggressions, calling them out. If it's donating to bail funds, do that. Because I, I mean, I think for, for black people, this isn't new. It's not brand new stuff. And a lot of these organizations and these bail funds that are getting a lot of attention right now have been in existence for years. So I, I would say, Focus on the everyday smaller actions you can do to sustain the movement and also to just get organized and don't run purely on passion because eventually you're going to get tired and that's when it's going to be easy to be like, okay, well, I did my part. I'm done. No, make it part of your daily routine. Make being a part of whether it's a task force at your athletic department or um, a racial equity organization in your community, get involved with that kind of stuff and make it a part of your routine so that it doesn't feel like you only get involved in like moments of passion and fits of passion. Make it a part of your life so that it's it's just ongoing automatically. That's great. Thank, yeah, thank you. We all need to, we need to make it, like I love how you said, make it a part of your life, make it a part of your routine. Because um, this is something that we all need to work towards every day. Um, so we had two questions come in about student athlete advisory committees. One was, what, what do you think the role of student athlete advisory committees is when it comes to voice? Uh, what's their role maybe in all of this? But then also, how do you address these initiatives with a not so diverse student athlete or student body or SAC? Um, anyone have any thoughts on that? So what's the role of SAC in all of this and in keeping the conversation going and educating people in the athletic department and student athletes, but then, what do you how do you address these initiatives if your student body or student athlete population isn't very diverse any thoughts any any one of you can jump in well i'll go ahead and start first um i think you know it's so one we have so you could have a dei um, chair for sac um, who could help with that and who help can help facilitate the conversation i think it's also reaching outside of SAC, right? I think it's asking um, all the student athletes and keeping them involved, specifically our um, black student athletes during the times like this. And, and so how do you keep them involved and engaged um, when they're not in SAC? Um, and so it's by asking them, you know, kind of what their thoughts are on it, but they, the SAC has the platform 
um, you know, which really all of our student athletes have a platform, but SAC is the, you know, national voice for student athletes. And so how do, how do you do that? Again, I think it's, um, you know, having training for bringing in people to talk to SAC. Um, you also can um, figure out how to better recruit in SAC too. You know, how do you better um, help get um, people involved? Again, representation matters as we talked about. So they really don't see anybody on those, you know, in SAC, that's they're like, okay, I must not be for me. And, I, and again, that's some of the things that that, that we're going through at K State. You know, it might might not be for me, but you know, it's my job, and that's where it's my at least I feel that it's my responsibility to help educate some of our black student athletes to get involved because you do have a voice there. And so, I, I think it could be it could be difficult at times, but um, but I think you have to just again keep going, keep pushing forward, and bringing in people to maybe speak, to help with it, and also creating a diversity and inclusion committee that, that then talks to your black student athlete organization or your um, black student union to, to ask those questions and to get input on how they can expand and you know, stick up for um, and amplify the voice. I think, um, you know, they, I know our case state SAC made a, they made a statement, but they, they ran it by people, right? They wanted to make sure that they, they knew that the student, the SAC student athletes cared as well, and so um, again, it was just reaching out to to those different groups. Great. Anything to add from Anna or Georgia? Or we have well, probably one more question we can probably squeeze in, but um, I'll just add really quick to Julian's point about if you don't see people in there, it doesn't feel like it's for you. That was my experience at USC. SAC did not feel like it was for me because. When I looked at the organization, I didn't see anybody black. And that that's something that we're now addressing, like, hey, it is for me because I am a student athlete. So I should be here. Other black people should be involved. And it, you know, it it's it goes both ways. One, why why is SAC not diverse? And two, let's make it diverse. Let's get involved. Let's ask them to open the doors to us. And so part of what we did at USC was. SAC was moving slowly at SC. They, they hadn't said Black Lives Matter. They hadn't really said anything about anything that was going on. So it was that was part of the motivation for creating UBSAA. Like, okay, well, if SAC isn't going to do it, we're going to make an organ. We're going to do it. We're going to address racial equality. We're going to say Black Lives Matter. We're going to get this stuff done. So I, I think what Julian is saying about working inside of it and outside of it is really important because Yes, SAC has power. Yes, SAC is like ingrained in the NCAA and at all these different institutions. But if if SAC, whether at the local level or the broader like national level, if SACs aren't willing to, to get involved, if they're not willing to take a stance, then I say absolutely make action and work outside of SAC because all student athletes have a voice. All student athletes, um, if you are in the business of college athletics, you should care about what your student athletes are saying, whether they're in SAC or not. So if you can get in SAC and get your SAC to get involved, by all means do it. But if not, don't feel like SAC is the only avenue to make change and to make a difference. So real quick, um, I think this is a good question to try to address really quickly. Um, how do you work with coaches in your program that still don't understand or validate Black Lives Matter? Maybe they just don't get it or whatever. Any anyone have a, a 30 second thought on that uh, before we finish up? Anyone want to touch that one? I'll just say 
I, I would say, and I think there's also a question about what do you do in athletic departments that, that aren't super diverse? Bring people in, pay black people. You probably have professors who study race. If you don't have any on your campus, don't be afraid to pay people, to pay activists, to pay organizers, to come and do a training, do anti-racist training, do implicit bias training, and, and start breaking down those barriers. And some people, they're not gonna get it because they don't wanna get it. And not everyone can be reached, unfortunately, but um, I think you should always try. So if you don't, if you're in a predominantly white area and you don't have people who seem to be involved, you don't have anyone who's educated on the topics, then go out and look for it because there's millions of black scholars who are doing this work and who have been on the ground organizing, who can come and who can speak to you. But like on that emotional labor piece, don't expect them to just do it for free, compensate people and pay black people what they deserve. But there's there's a million resources. And if someone can't be reached, then you you eventually have to move on and reach the next person and, and make it clear that in this athletic department, this is what we support, this is what we stand for. And if you're not with it, then is this the place for you? That's great. Anyone have a 10 second reply to that or other thought? I mean, I was, I was just gonna say, if you really just can't get that Black Lives Matter, I, I think it's a, it's, it's just at this point, I think it's just your own prerogative and you can't get over it. But how about maybe we get rid of um, all maybe all our black student athletes and, um, you know, imagine all your black student athletes are gone and and how things move or how, you know, how things go or if black lives in general, all black people are gone and see how things are moving forward or go or how would it look like if we were all gone. And so, I don't know, maybe that'll help them out a little bit. A lot of people, um, probably may not have some jobs if, if these were, you know, that was the case. And so uh, maybe think about it that way, but I think it's, yeah, educate yourself, keep trying to educate yourself. But after a while, it's hard to, if you don't get Black Lives Matter now, I think it's just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, we're out of time. Uh, I just want to thank you, Anna, Georgia, Julian, for your time and for your, your, your advice and expertise. Um, this was a great panel. I hope everyone that that did tune in will share this with their colleagues and pass it around on Twitter and via email and everything. It will be up on the COSIDA website soon, uh, later today. Uh, so check COSIDA.com for details there. Um, our next COSIDA professional development webinar will be September 1st with a focus on mental health strategies and tips for athletic communications professionals during these challenging times. Details will be, will be available for that panel uh, in the next few days. Uh, and again, thank you all for tuning in and thanks to our panelists. Thank you.